Monday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 512 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Got a very special guest on this episode. Mr. Ben Heck is going to join the show. Now, for those of you out there who know the history of Ben Heck and Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland, I think you're going to be in for a treat because there aren't many people who actually have had the experience of trying to work with J-Pop to get a game out the door. So I'm going to air that interview in a little bit. Now, before I do that, I want to say that we're on October, people. This is it. We could see Guns N' Roses end of this week. Now, what I think Jersey Jack Pinball should do, and I'm, I'm surprised they're not doing this yet, but they might do this. I think they might announce that Guns N' Roses is the next machine from Jersey Jack Pinball, and I think they should do what Spooky Pinball did. I think they should announce the game this Thursday or Friday, And I think they should announce that the order banks for the collector's editions of Guns N' Roses will go on sale Monday at 9 a.m. I know it's exactly what Spooky did, but let me tell you, it exactly worked perfectly for Spooky Pinball and Rick and Morty. And I think Jersey Jack Pinball really should do this. The the hype is going to be there. The game is going to deliver. People keep saying, Canada, you're going to be wrong again. It's going to be Willy Wonka all over again. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you, I might have been wrong on Wonka, but this time I'm so confident I'm right that you guys are going to really love this game. I'm willing to bet it. I'm willing to bet the podcasting farm on this game. You heard it here first. All right, so let's air this interview with Ben Heck. Look, everyone is talking about Deep Root. It's hard to avoid this thing, but I mean it when I say it. Like, this is it. Like, this week, this interview, I've wanted to do this interview with Ben before I did my last podcast, but I'm done. And until they show a working game, there's really nothing left to discuss with this company. Uh, The only other date that I think we're all looking at is the middle of this month, the uh, Virtual Pinball Expo. Will they show up with something? Will they change our minds? Can they get something completely working in the next couple of weeks? I don't know. When you have years to figure it out, what, what, what does a few weeks do for you? I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. You had years to get it right. So let's talk to Ben Heck, what it was like being back there with John Papaduke, and what his thoughts are on Deep Root Pinball and what we're going to see from him with Chicago Gaming Company. Ben Heck, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, joining Canada's Pinball Podcast with no NDA in place, Mr. Ben Heck. Ben, welcome back to the show. Oh, hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's You know, Ben, I thought of you immediately this past week, and I guess it's not hard to guess why. Um, so I, I just want to come out of the gate right away, because you were involved with this game like eight years ago when it was Ben Heck's Zombie Adventureland. What, what were your thoughts, Ben, when you saw this game trying to reveal itself this past Monday? Why does it take so long? <laughs> right. Well, actually, I didn't think that because I know why. Why? <laughs> because John. Let's talk about that. So yeah, I mean, we should talk about the history behind that because I think yeah. people are a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it. let's start with the history. So, like, walk us through it because you've been involved with Raza from the very beginning. Walk us through like how you got connected with him because this is like an eight-year in the making story. Oh, it's closer to nine now, actually. Uh, yeah, I can. I still remember exactly how it happened. Um, yeah, I think it was spring 2011, right? And that, that was back when I was doing my 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 show, my sponsor show, you know? Yep. The Ben Heck Show. <clears throat> anyway, we had uh, Jerry Ellsworth on, who's a 
the really well-known uh, engineer, like in the video game geek circles. And we were doing an episode about pinball machines, right? And this is this was after I'd done the um, the Bill Paxton pinball but before I started uh, America's Most Haunted or Ghost Squad or whatever I was calling it at the time. Okay. Anyway, on the video, I see a comment. It's like, well, if you want to know how to really make pinball, you should talk to me. And it was from John Papaduke, right? The legend at the time, right? Yeah, and I think he had already started Zidware at that point. I think so. And so I'm like, oh, wow. It's like, um, you know, yes. I, I mean, I knew who he was, obviously. And so I think he came to visit my shop not that long after. So this would have been 2011. And then he's like, oh, we sh-, you know, he basically said, asked me if I wanted to help make pinball. And I was like, oh, yeah, because at that time, that this was like a couple years before Spooky was created, right? So it seemed like a really cool opportunity, right? Yep. Um, so then I think the idea was he wanted me to help him with Magic Girl. And then along the way, he's like, oh, what if we made a game with you in it? And they're like zombies. And I'm like, um, and I, first of all, I was like, why? And I think his his reasoning for that, that's the thing I want people to realize. That was not my idea. I would never make a game starring myself. Right. I'm a different, I'm a different kind of self-centered, egotistical prick. Yeah. Not that kind. Right. Right. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, you know, you've got a lot of fans, but like, you know, video game people and younger people and. And I think it'd be cool if we had something that would kind of like engage younger people more. Yeah, none of which, by the way, Ben, have $10,000 for a pinball machine. So great market research, J-Pop, on that one. Well, as we've seen in pinball, a lot of, mar- a lot of market research isn't done at all. No. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I'm like, okay, fine. And then, you know, he's like, oh, and then your likeness will be in it. So, you know, you can make some money or something. And even at that time... I, I'm pretty sure I, yeah, I don't have the email anymore because I have my Gmail auto purge after five years. But I think it was like in 2015. Remember, there was like empty cabinet gate and then there was like Pintasia gate or whatever. Yeah. So he came to Pinball Expo when people were expecting to see games and he had empty cabinets. It was really funny, right? He puts up the translate to Raza and he immediately takes it down because he sees people taking pictures. Like, it's like John lives in a world in which he doesn't understand social media or or cell phone cameras, but there was no game, right? The games remained a mystery. He had everyone sign an NDA, and he was showing owners uh, – there was like a blog site that had a password to get to, and that was the only place people saw any momentum on any of these projects. Oh, see, that was long after I left. He connects with you. He's this pinball legend at the time. His games were pretty famous. And then... I was going to say one thing. Yeah, yeah. That's why I brought up the 2015 thing. So, like, when they had the empty cabinet gate, and then I think more importantly, like, when it clearly imploded, and then what was it? Bill Brands tried to save it, right? Bill, Bill Brandis uh, with Pintasia. At that time, I actually searched through my email and just... Out of posterity, I think I might have forwarded it to some friends, but I actually found the email where John was talking about Raza or Ben Heck Zombie or whatever, and I actually said to him, shouldn't you finish Magic Girl first? Right. <laughs> Looking back now, I think John probably just wanted to use my board set, because I don't right. think he he decided on one, and then I, I think he ended up making like a P-Rock ripoff or something. Like he had that Captain Nemo guy do it. Yeah. So, so, so let me ask you a question, Ben. So like, what was it yeah. actually like like working with John, like was there like a, are you sitting in I, a room with him? Are you brainstorming? Who's doing the actual work? I like barely worked with him at all. That's another thing to think about. Like he wanted to do stuff with me. Then he wanted, then he had, I don't know if it's zombie Yeti. Oh yeah. Because Zom, uh, Jeremy told me this, like Jeremy was a fan of my stuff 
And that was one of the reasons he wanted to help John. He's like, oh, I can draw a picture of Ben. Then obviously he's moved on to bigger and better things since then. But yeah, it was like, it's like sometimes John would come to my shop on weekends and sometimes I would go down to his shop. But I honestly, we probably didn't, I don't know, maybe eight or nine meetings like that. Because the thing was, I just got the sense that, oh, you know, he just wants me to be an apprentice and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't want to make his games. I want to make my own games. And basically Spooky let me do that. Right. And, you know, we only sold 150 America's Most Haunted's, but thus far they've sold zero Razas. Well, actually, no, they've, they've, they've sold a lot of Razas, but they haven't built any. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, you, that's 150 times more efficient and productive than the current Raza uh, out in the marketplace. So, and, and Ben, there was a moment, and you told this story, where John said to customers, and you said this was the moment you knew he didn't have any idea what it took to build something that... He was going to offer you and him to fly to customers' homes and build the games in their homes for them for like $1,000 extra. Some crazy number, right? <sighs> I want to say, when was that? That was at MGC when he announced it. Because I remember we were, they always had, uh, it was at the Sheraton Brookfield, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. And they always have, a lot of the speakers were like in the bar uh, restaurant area, right? Yep. I, so I, I can still picture this. I want to say it was 2012 when that happened. Wow. And I'm sitting there. Again, this was before Spooky started. I'm sitting there, and he's and then he says that. And I was just like, what? I, I just couldn't believe it. Because I travel a lot, right? I know how expensive travel is. And I was like, are you freaking? Well, this is what I'm thinking in my head. Is like, Does he have any idea how much travel costs? It's right. like, let alone assembling the game, like $1,000 to ship two people around, you'd lose money. Right. And, and, and this is a story I've heard from many people that John just doesn't really have a sense of, of what it costs and what it takes, right? He loves designing stuff. He loves talking about pinball design. But Ben, do you think that's, if you, if you were to summarize why we still don't see a working Raza and it's 2020. Why do you think that is? Is it just a lack of understanding of manufacturing that is just this guy continues to hoodwink everyone with art? What, what do you think? Well, I think, I don't know, it was one of your not so long ago podcasts where you talked about the engineers being the real heroes of pinball. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that was a very poignant statement. It's very true. Like, um, you don't. We don't talk about the guy who figured out the champion pub mech. I'm guaranteed John did not design the what actually made the trunk rotate, even though it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, the designers are usually like idea men. Right. Has, any, has a woman designed a pinball machine yet? I don't think they. Yeah. See, I don't even need to de-genderize de that. It's so monolithic. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of times, yeah, people. It's kind of like you know, odd tour theory with like movie directors. You know, like. Tim Burton is not there painting all the sets and drawing everything. No, he's got an army of people doing it. And that's what it was like at Williams. But another thing people don't realize is like Williams was huge. Like Williams was much bigger than any of the companies now. Right. So like every large company, there's an, you know, for, you know, you have Bill Gates, but then you have an army of engineers designing the iPod below him. Right. Right. And you, I think you kind of had that scale, you know, with Williams back in the eighties and nineties, but I don't really think any of the companies now have that big a scale because even if Stern, you know, I know you love to talk about how much Stern sells and they do, but they're still, as far as I know, nowhere close to what Williams was doing back in the day. So I guess that I'm, what I'm saying is that army of support is gone. And so designers have to wear more hats than they did in the past. Right. And, and we, t yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is we've seen pictures uh, of deep root studios, right? And I've seen the, the Utah facility, 
The one thing we haven't seen, and it still remains a mystery, there's no factory. Like, there literally is no factory anywhere to be seen. And is that, uh, do you think that's just like, how do you, how do you get to that point, Ben? If, if you're going to, if you're going to start a pinball company today, right, in 2020, isn't the factory the first thing you would build? Well, or you would build it alongside your initial game development, uh, because I think the best example of that fallacy is, is the Dutch. <laughs> well, not all the, not all the Dutch people, but you know, right. Dutch pinball. Dutch pinball. I mean, they were the bells of the ball, the lords of all creation when they showed up with those three uh, big Lebowskis. But honestly, it's a lot easier to build a pinball machine than it is to manufacture it by a long shot. Um, especially now, like um, weird things you wouldn't think about. Like there's always things that are going, uh, uh, becoming obsolete, hard to find. Like right now, because of COVID, you know, they've turned every uh, point of sale into a Detroit gas station. Right. That actually created a pet G shortage, which has affected pinball manufacturers. There is a hinge shortage, all tied to those stupid barriers, right? So there's, oh, and lumber's gone up through the roof. There's always something going on, like supply chain things. And, you know, if you're missing one bolt, the game doesn't go out the door, right? So, yeah, people like George Gomez, they keep that machine very well oiled. And it's a very important and difficult part of the process. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you might get pre-orders or pre-sales. Well, I guess, you know, Deeper's not doing that. But you do not get your money until you ship a physical box of lights and switches out the door. Right. And if you don't have every part you need to make that, you're in trouble, including lockdown bars. Yeah, we're going to talk about the pin bar. But in, you know, so then you, you think about that for a minute, right? Just getting one game on the line and out the door is is a challenge with all the parts you need for that one game. Do you think they made a colossal mistake developing multiple titles at once instead of focusing on one game? If their intention is to actually produce, yes. Um, first of all, no one's going to buy those games. Uh, secondly, they're wasting their time. Like if they have Goonies, apparently they do because of the, the slot. Well, it looked like a pitch deck to me. I'm sure you probably thought that as well since you're in marketing. It's an investor deck. Absolutely. That, mm -hmm. that, that's a deck to, to show investors what they have. Which is why you'd make a bunch of concepts. Like no pinball company shows like 10 concepts ahead, right? No. Unless you're trying to say, oh, this is what we're going to have in the future, right? Yeah. So that should also be a red flag to people. Um, but I would say it seems more like they're trying to look for future investment than, hey, here's what's coming next. But how do you get investment if there's nothing being built? Like, what are people investing in? They're just investing in a design studio. Well, John didn't build anything, and he's still got Bill Brands, American Pinball, and Robert to invest in him. Yes, Bill Brandis, good friend of the show. So, but, but that's the thing. Do you think this is it? Like, Ben, if he can't get this game out the door, is do you think John Papaduke has used his lifelines and, and he's well, done? If he fails up any further, um, he'll be getting a government bailout. You know, it'll be like the too pretty to fail bailout. Because, <laughs> you know, Trump will be like, you should see the artwork. It's tremendous artwork. John, <laughs> John totally drew it himself. You're going to get yeah, tired of playing this game. They've never seen artwork this good. No one's ever seen artwork this good. Beautiful. beautiful. Right. <laughs> but, but, but on a serious note, I mean, do you think this is it? Is it worth it? I mean, when we see that, like, we're not, here's the crazy part, right, Ben? We're not even talking about the game. Like, where's the game? Yes. I've said this before. Stern saved Zidware the right way by hiring Jeremy Packer. Because Stern is smart, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and, look you at, know, and look at Jeremy was, since, since then, right? Look at the success he's had. Look at the amount of games he's been on. And it feels good. I mean, he came out of that hell, and now he feels redeemed. 
Yeah, imagine if Jeremy was trapped in the hell or – well, John didn't even want people to know who he was. So Jeremy was like a princess. Like there was like this ugly king and his, his beautiful queen was trapped in a tower so no one could see her like Rapunzel. That's what because John didn't really want people to know who Jeremy was at first, right? And then the young lad Gary Stern. Well, I guess he's an old lad. He climbs the hair and rescues the princess from the tower. Right. And what's left, right? Right. But no, but imagine if Jeremy would have been stuck in that. None, he'd have all this artwork, but none of his games would have gotten made. But in the world we live in, we have you know tens of thousands of games with amazing uh, Jeremy artwork on them from Stern. Right. And I and part of me does feel there's a little bit of karma in play right now, right? We've got Jeremy's Avengers flying off the shelves. People love it. It's one of the most beautiful looking Stern machines ever. Ninja Turtles, same thing. Great art package. And then we get to Raza, right? They they replaced Jeremy's art with new art. And I will say this: I don't think the current Raza cabinet looks nearly as good as the one Jeremy did all those years ago. You mean the art? Yeah, the art. The, the art itself, it's just, it's like... Well, which one are you talking about? Because the very first one was with me, and then I think he had Matt Andrews redo the second one, where it turned into, like, zombies from space or whatever, retroatomic. Yeah, I, yeah, there was, like, some had, like, Godzilla on them, some had... The, right, the f- which would, they, would, they would have gotten sued for, and they right. changed it, yeah. Right. I mean, well, they had the Robbie the Robot, Godzilla, and something else. They, there was, like, at least three strikes on that playfield. Did you laugh on Monday when you saw the botched reveal? I was pretty surprised that they did what they did. Like if they, if they pulled the plug that last minute because of outside feedback, it means that they weren't taking any internal feedback and that someone had draconian control inside of the company, right? Where it's like, Oh, this, well, Steve Ritchie has a saying, if two people tell you something sucks, it sucks. Right. That's what he (laughs) says. But Ben, Ben, a lot more than two people say Canada's pinball podcast sucks. Come on. We, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because you don't drone on about rules for hours on end and spend half the podcast laughing. It's true. Um, Well, but my point was, if internally they didn't realize or accept there was a problem until they had external input, that's a very bad sign. Because everyone's wondering this, right? Like, how did it come to this point? It's 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 the emperor's new clothes. He didn't realize he's naked until he walks down the street and everyone laughs at him. And I'm saying this just from the information that's publicly available. Right. It's Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is everyone's just trying to figure out, well, how did all these people who work there, how did nobody stand over this machine that week or the night before the media are flying in and say, hey, man, it doesn't work. We can't have them come over to witness and experience this. Because, Ben, I keep hearing, and again, like I didn't sign an NDA, but I keep hearing from, from some of the folks who went down there that they did not play a game very very long. Like it wasn't they didn't have a, a pinball experience. They had a a tour of a company intending to do all these innovative things in pinball. That's crazy uh, to me. But but people played this Raza game at Houston last which, year. Which right? is the part that I can't figure out. How did you it's and it's a that was almost a year ago, right? How have what we was, what was the feedback? It was okay, it was, but the yeah. ramp was impossible or something? Yeah, and and even then, it was like it, it, the feedback wasn't bad at all. So you're kind of thinking, well, okay, make the ramp better, and then yeah. make the game. Unless unless you unless you have someone like John saying they said my Toten ramp wouldn't work, which means every ramp I ever designed will work. Right. <laughs> that was his big thing. He would always well. John is like the fat, washed up, uh, middle aged guy who can't stop talking about when he was the high school quarterback. <laughs> but in his case, that's Williams. 
Right. And it's like, yes, okay, yes, the Toten ramp was amazing, but that doesn't give you some magical immunity where because clearly like the ramps in Magic Girl didn't work, the ramps in Raza weren't that great. So you know what I mean? It there's some sort of weird ego at play from my from my opinion outside looking in. I mean, I don't. I mean, I really don't know that much about John personally. I, I I do know he is kind of egotistical, and I think you could see that. And it kind of goes. I think you. I don't know if it was you or someone else who was talking about all these pinball companies. Like, you know, why? What? What, what do they keep messing up? And the thing that I see is that they don't iterate their games at all. Like, you think about it. Deep Root was supposed to be what March 2019, right? Yeah. And what a year and a half later, the game is still not showable. So what would they have had? last spring so while they, they they delayed that obviously because they needed to but then covid gave them an extra six months it's just like when remember when hobbit was supposed to launch when there's only two hobbit movies and then warner split it into three and it gave jack an extra year right and he still missed that deadline <laughs> but... <laughs> well but it, he missed it by less yeah. so anyway covid so if, if you're that far behind covid was a great excuse for um deep root right and they Apparently, they still weren't ready to launch. Here's what I think happened. And, and this will be a good segue into us talking about some of these innovations. I think the pin bar is the issue. Because if you think about it, what's the, the, the one new variable, the big variable that they've added into this game that we never saw in Houston? It's the pin bar. And getting that thing to work seamlessly within a pinball experience, I think that's what tanked this reveal. I don't think they could get it to work properly. And we heard, right... Oh. What's, what's to get properly? It's a touch screen. I don't know. Well, what, it's but it's why in, that here, work? because it's integrated with the code. Like the game is all connected through that thing, so it, you can't just yank it out. It's part of the gameplay experience happens on that touch screen, which is which is not a good idea. Yeah, it's not just the start button. It's not just setting the difficulty. It's actually integrated into the entire gameplay experience. And that's why we heard there's one, they used one word in this week in pinball. They said it was glitchy. That's a, that's a nice way of saying it didn't work. And so do you think Ben that the pin bar, because that's getting a lot of conversation. What are your thoughts on it as an engineer, as someone who builds stuff? What do you think of this pin bar? Oh, I think it's stupid. <laughs> How do you really feel now? But why? Like, why do you think that? Slapping an LCD into a game is not innovation. It's just window dressing. It's just an animated art, right? And it's it, it, it's very much like dialed in where it's an old man trying to think of what young people think is cool and missing the mark. It's like, oh, how do I get my kids to play pinball? I know we need a Fortnite pin, even though that makes no goddamn sense from a theme perspective. Or people right. love cell phones. Let's put a cell phone into the apron and weld the edges of it instead of stamping it. And it'll hurt your palms. Although I, I could, I could pretty much guarantee why that happened, and we could talk why? about that too. Why? Um, because there's only a few lockdown bar stamps in existence, and they're they're coveted. I think Terry has one, Stern has one. So basically, if he's like, I want a lockdown bar, and if the two people who have one say no, then he has to weld one. And then, so when you stamp metal, you can give it curves. Like this big press comes in and smashes metal right into right. a shape. You know. And then that's how you make like a trombone or like the hood of a car. And the curves actually come from the metal being stretched slightly thinner over certain areas. And that's where you get like the size of the lockdown bar. But since I, I sort of know how to weld, right? So I'm, right. I'm familiar with it. I used to be in the sign business. So what they did with the pin bar was they clearly took a flat piece of stainless steel and then they bent the four sides of it down and then TIG welded it and then 
uh, basically, uh, you know, sanded it smooth. But so they basically made a box out of steel. Just think about like a cardboard box and how the sides bend to make the box, right? Right. That's basically what they did, which means it has sharp corners because they didn't stamp it. So if they have all this goddamn money, I mean, a stamp, it's not like you can't make one. It's just expensive. So they should have used some of that daddy war box to make their own stamp. So if it was like a custom lockdown bar with smooth corners, I think people would have liked it a lot more. Right. And, and But that's a huge problem for them because this thing seems to be the cornerstone of the Deep Root platform. It's on every game, no matter the price point. So if this is the cornerstone of everything they're making and it doesn't work or it's not comfortable, you see how that can create a problem, right, Ben? Because that, that's why they can't just release... I don't see why it would be glitchy. It's just a second display. It's not even that high resolution. You know, it's not like hooking up two displays to a single board computer is rocket science. I, I don't know. I mean, even if it's something they... It's hard to believe that with all, all those people, they couldn't have gotten a, at least a stable UI. I mean, an UI is easy. I mean, it's not like you're trying to redo right. Google or Apple. If it's just a bunch of big touch buttons, I mean, honestly, that shouldn't be rocket science. My concern with the with the my concern with that thing isn't actually if it's glitchy or not because you know code they can fix that. My concern would be you see these games and they're like, oh, we've got a story by blank. It's directed by blank. I I would worry that the games are going to have all this goddamn story in it and it's going to stop the ball every five seconds and make you touch that screen. That's the concern I'd have. That is an interesting point, right? When you look at the back box. So what did you think of that whole back box with the the floating on top of the screen? What are your thoughts on that design? Um, The fact that it has two points of separation, the speakers and the back box, I would agree with Auric. It's stupid and it's overly complicated and expensive. But the wraparound part of the back class, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it looked cool. So they, yeah. could, have, they could have done that as one unit and, and made it less troublesome, probably, or complicated Although, to make. I think, some, I think someone said the arcade version was going to be like that. Yeah, so I think the arcade version is going to be more like what we saw in Houston. You know, because it is kind of funny, though, because it wraps around, but it still does look like separate images on the side. You would think you if know, you wrapped around, you'd have one yeah. image. <laughs> I was discussing that with Oric, and I have a theory on why that is. It's like, wow. I'm pretty sure, okay, so if you, obviously that's going to be a piece of PETG or polycarbonate, which are types of plastic. Actually, it's probably polycarbonate because if they have like a 90 degree bend. So polycarbonate is different than acrylic in the fact that you can bend it and it won't shatter, right? It's, well, it's a poly. So what I imagine they did was they probably back printed onto a piece of polycarbonate, right? Mm-hmm. And then used heat to bend the corners up, right? Okay. So the reason why I think they have lightning bolts down the sides where the corners are is because the bending process probably would have distorted the art. So they just have a blank piece of art, a.k.a. a white lightning bolt, to hide that. Gotcha. That would be my theory. Now, there also is supposed to be, and we did not see it, artwork that lights up. So Again, it's all about art. I, I know. Mean, I know. Where's the game? Where's the, the game? game is what is what matters. Art is bullshit. Sorry. Oh. Well, you know what I mean. It's what? Art is like the the icing the, on the cake it's the but fun if you don't part have, yeah if you don't have the spongy inside it's not a cake it's just a pile of frosting it still is crazy to me too because even looking at the mechs in raza I, I i have to say this i don't think there's anything mechanically in that game that looks like it should have taken two years three yeah. years five years there's, seven there's years a, there's a static sculpt of ned with guns that blink i guess and there's some spinning discs and yeah, what's in it? There's, I mean, there's nothing. That's where the innovation should be. You hire, you know, if you're spending good money, then you could hire, you know, you could spend like six figures and get a bunch of engineers, 
that's the thing. If if any company wanted to, if like that's just obviously completely stupid to talk about, like, but if like you know Valve or Tesla or Microsoft or Apple or any big 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 company. If they sicked a bunch of engineers on making a pinball table, it would just put us all to shame. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right? So it it that but that's the thing. Like I I see that and I'm like, this is not innovation. And I, I caught some flack for saying this on pin side. I'm like, whether or not you like the node boards on Stern, it is an innovation, right? They are also being innovative, innovative by uh, ripping you off for the replacement cost, but that's the same shit Apple does. Yeah. And you know it's like. Innovation would be putting more mechanics onto the game, making the mechanics more reliable, making the game easier to manufacture, making the game lighter, easier to ship. I do like their pin crate thing, like Deep Roots crate that can collapse. I think that's a cool idea. The pin pod. Yeah, well, you know, it's more environmentally friendly. It makes it easier to ship the game. It also helps you with resale. Like, oh, because just like a car, resale value is very important. So if they make, you know, the transportation of a game easier, I think that will help. They you don't know, have the a game. They don't value. have a game to transport. Like they already built. I, I, I don't get it. I'm gonna buy one of those, Ben, and convert it into a podcasting studio for me. And I'm gonna go to shows inside the Pin Pod, and that's where Canada will podcast from. You could rent out the Pin Pod in a, in New York. I'd be like a three thousand dollar apartment. Yeah. See, to me, when I saw that, Ben, it just sends the signal that these guys were all. They're all over the place. There's no focus. Like, well, well they're. They're de- they're dealing on the, all the periphery of pinball, but not the table itself, which is ludicrous in a way. If you think about it, like how do you? Yeah. How can you sustain a pinball company and the pinball unless, unless itself? The, unless the intention is to get bought out or to sell all the ideas to another company. Who? Like, Fire, I don't know. Who's going to buy well, food truck? Oh god. Let's talk about the titles yeah. real quick because Bible Adventures has been your baby forever. Do you want to go back? We'll go back to this. I, I, yeah, I just want to go okay. back to the cabinet for one. Yeah, let's go to the cabinet. Second. Aside from the fact that it's needlessly split with the speaker section, I think the cabinet looks really cool. But, and here's the big but, the cabinet is obviously styled around the idea of a retro atomic zombie adventure, right? It's like Art Deco or 1950s uh, aesthetic styling, right? Right. So I think it's also a little worrying that they styled the cabinet to the actual game itself instead of having the cabinet be more uh, ubiquitous. Right, because then Food because, Truck looks weird in it, or Gladiator doesn't make or sense. Or Bible Adventures in, right. in 1950s Toaster. Right. It's, so that's a little bit concerning, too, because it shows that their focus was a little too narrow on Razov. Yeah, but also, Bennett, it shows that John is in control of this shit. Or way too much control, yeah. I've, I've been saying... All the stuff we've been seeing from Deep Root for the last year, it's blatantly obvious to me, just from what I know of John. Even that hammer-tested logo, it's like, oh, you hired a whole art studio, but you let John design your hammer-tested logo. Right. Lovely. So let me ask, let me ask you a question, then we'll go on to some of the stuff we saw recently. But a little bit, let's go into the past a little bit. So Robert Mueller, before he started Deep Root, he connected with you and Charlie, right? Did he ever, is it the rumor true that he had tried to acquire Spooky once? I shouldn't speak to that, but I would say, yeah, I mean, he was trying to start a pinball company a couple of years before this current iteration. It's pretty well known. He went around. I think he also met with Pinball Life. I think he met with some other individuals. Did he ever try to get you to work for Deep Root? I probably shouldn't comment on that either. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, no one. he never tried to get me to do the marketing for them, which I think he should have because we would not have landed on these titles that they currently have. So when he finally did... I, I will say one thing. Yeah. He's right from the start. He's just obsessed with John's work or, oh, Magic Girl, it's so amazing. And, and 
I still think Magic Girl is the most beautiful pinball machine that never works. It, in a way, though, it's like it's collapsed and it evaporated so much money. You always use that word, right? It's evaporated so much money in this well, the hobby. Well, the word I use is destroyed wealth, but yes. At some point, we have to just take a step back and say, Jeremy Packer is the reason why we loved Zidware stuff. Jeremy, Jeremy Packer, Packer and Matt Andrews. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy, mm-hmm. Jeremy yeah. Packer and Matt Andrews is what we fell in love with. Nothing else worked. There was no game. There was no code. There was nothing to fall in love with other than what Jeremy delivered. And guess what? Now you can go buy what Jeremy creates all the time at Stern Pinball. And TNA, which was Matt Andrews. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about fire and brimstone because Bible Adventures was your dream theme, and you and I know mm-hmm. I know you would say it sarcastically, but you were serious. Now, oh, it's it started as a joke. I read an interview with this week in Pinball, in which they were interviewing Robert Mueller, and I think you too, and you guys talked about how you guys met and discussed Bible Adventures, and Robert came up with fire and brimstone. So, what did you think? Oh, I, when- I, I still remember the exact moment. Actually, yes, but. Yeah, what, so what did you think when you saw Fire and Brimstone in that PowerPoint presentation? Well, I knew I knew he was going to um I knew that he had been inspired by my theme years ago, so I was not surprised at all by it. So how do you feel seeing it there now? Do you feel like, man, well where is it or Well, I think you... it's absolutely the wrong approach to take, you know? Like making well, I think he's also taking my idea. My idea was to make it based off the books of Moses, which makes it compatible with the Jewish religion. I wouldn't say it's necessarily multi-denominational. I would say it's basically compa- it's compatible with like the Jewish religion and the Christian religion because they're essentially the same for like the first half of the Old Testament. Right. And that's also why I wasn't going to have any Jesus in it. Also, Jesus is boring. You know, he's not as you know, as exciting <laughs> as like boring. you know. Well, yeah, all he's doing is like yeah. splitting loaves. Now, there's no like you know fires of pillar and you know. Egyptians being burned alive and stuff. Right, right. It was way back, like 2011, uh, and like every weekend, my buddies and I were hanging out in my shop, and we were like making pinballs and stuff. And then we would always go to uh, this place that had a pinball machine. I think they actually had a theater magic. So we'd go there and get pizza for lunch and play theater magic. And we were joking like about the worst possible pinball themes, right? And then uh, one of us says, "Oh, what if it was based off the Bible?" And then we're all laughing and stuff, right? And uh, but then we started talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> what would the modes be, right? And like, oh, you got to do this, and then you got to collect ten plagues. And the more we talked about it, we're like, wait a minute, this would actually fit the rules of pinball really, really well, right? Mm-hmm. And this was like nine years ago, right? So then it just kind of kept going as like a as a running joke, like, oh, my dream theme is to make an Old Testament pinball machine. But then people realized it actually meant it. But then I never, I never really got around to doing it, right? Right. And then I want to say. John was the first one to ape the idea. Like one of my friends found out John had registered a domain of like creationpinball.com and done one of his classic single page websites, you know? Right. That was probably like 2014. And then, oh yeah. So I think it was TPF like five years ago. I was talking, I was basically like just throwing out theme ideas and I did mention my Bible adventures and Robert was like, oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Because <laughs> a lot of people like don't like it. Everyone either absolutely hates it or thinks it'd be great. But he was like, "Oh, that's a great idea." But then he changed it to fire and brimstone, which is stupid. Why? Why is that stupid? Because it makes you think of like hardcore Southern Baptist kind of religious people, right? Like you're, you're just talking about like the negative punishment aspects of religion. Like right. if you do not follow God, you will be killed by fire and brimstone. I wanted to basically make like 
Cecil B. DeMille, Michael Bay, God of War. That's what I wanted it to be like, just the spectacle, right? Right. And I'm I'm curious to see how badly they mess it up if it ever gets released. Well, and he's designing it too, right? He's not just uh, <laughs> this. Is like, what do you think about that? Like, designed by Robert. Like, is, is he a pinball designer now, or is it just something you put on a PowerPoint slide? Well, I mean, to his credit, he only he doesn't have that much less experience than someone like me, <laughs> you know, or, or uh, you know, because no, everyone but, has but to start. No, but you have you have a. History of working in gaming and and understanding this stuff. Do you get that sense from him that his background? Don't you need to have some? I, 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 know, I guess I mean, not. He's, but well, I mean, he's Gen Xer, so he probably played video games yeah, his whole life. I guess you're right. I mean, ultimately, right? It's like for him to prove he's a designer, he just needs to show us a good design, right? It's like no one knew who Eric Minier was until they saw Pirates, and now everyone is like, Eric's a legitimate designer. Right. The thing with doing, you know, a Bible pin or whatever is, I don't know if he got that from me, but it's like everything in the Bible is numbered. It's basically there's just everything's numbered because the point of religion. See, thing is, I'm sure people wouldn't want to buy a religion pin for someone as agnostic as myself, but it's all about repetition and memorization. So, oh, there's ten plagues, ten commandments, seven sins. You know, everything's numbered because it's kind of like you're like you're, you're chanting it, you're remembering it. You know, you're you're drilling it into people's minds, but that actually makes it really good for pinball because you know even even in even now like the people who are buying pinball like the Gen Xers and young boomers, I mean they were raised going to church, right? So yep. they're still familiar with these stories. They're part of our cl- collective uh, subconscious. So I think it would really work from a, a rules perspective, um, or like you have like you know you're on Noah's Ark. What was it? Forty days at sea, so you make that forty seconds of multi-ball. Try to keep the balls active, plug holes in the ship. I had all, I had all sorts of stuff for that figured out. So, can you imagine Ben if God asked John Papaduke to make the ark? We, we'd be done. Like there, we never would have, he never would have been ready in time for the flood. <laughs> See, that's something that is non-denominational. Like, there's actually most ancient religions talk about a flood. So something must have happened back then, but who knows what? Right. But 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 Ben, wait, how crazy was it that they just dropped all their titles out in the world with like who does that? Like that's well, never been done before. It's it's either a pitch deck to try to get more investment or to see what people respond to. Okay, but right? but but let's look at the way this story unfolds now. If if you're trying to get investors and if they just do a simple Google search of Deeproot, now what's going to come up is this fiasco of a reveal they're going to see that hopefully they read the threads of 250 pages of people slamming the company who would who would invest american pinball didn't that's john right john's ability to sort of get new money but at this point i I don't even know how you hide it speaking of speaking of american pinball they'd be the perfect people to manufacture these games but they're probably still too pissed at john so well, that's the thing. You know, people have been suggesting that. So so how can Deep Root, though, financially afford to then go hire a contract manufacturer after all this money has been pumped into R&D? Like, how do you make money on any of these games? Well, we have no idea. I mean, it's been said how much people believe they have raised, but we we have no idea of what their actual remaining assets are. And did he actually say they were burning 750k a month? At some point, he did say that. I mean, if if that's true, they don't have any money left. Well, what's crazy to me is the Deep Root Studios in Utah. We don't we don't talk about that. That this there was no pinball being made there. That was the studio, like the animation studio, and they had I think a floor or two in this really expensive building, and they've shared images of what the office space was like, and it's very impressive. But but what happened? Like what? 
happens to all the stuff they created there, all the animations. And we've seen some food truck animation. And the stuff looks pretty good. at From a pinball standard, it looks really good. But yeah. where, but where is it all going to go? There's no home for this stuff. There's no games. Where are the games? Again, it, it's, it seems like it's all art and no... Uh you know, no manufacturing and art, art is great. You know, Stern's invested in it, but they obviously haven't invested as much as deep root has, but they at least have a game to put it on. Like Stern really beefed up their art department, like in the last five years, or at least their animation department. Do you think deep root can turn this around? (sighs) My external opinion based off, you know, what we've seen and the delays is, I, I'm guessing no. What would they need to turn it around? Well, they had their official statement, which obviously we can speak to. And, you know, it wasn't very difficult. Stevie Wonder could have read between the lines of that statement. It sounded like they, they're, going, they're going kind of almost back to the drawing board with a game that's been in development for nine years. How is that tenable? You know, I, I don't... The thing is... This oh, I was going to bring this up earlier, but I think we got off topic. Like, so many of these companies, they just refuse to iterate. You know, they don't make like five white woods. It's like they make a uh, a finished looking game, which is what John was notorious for doing, and then never changing it. Like Predator was like that. Predator was a piece of shit, and they took it to shows for years, and they never adjusted it or or improved it. Like, why not? You know, like so many of these designs get just stuck in concrete, and they try to change everything else around the game. But if the game basic game itself has like, you know, geometric flaws, then you need to change yeah, it. And- I agree. I even think like and one of the reasons I sold my Rick and Morty, I think Rick and Morty was a game that could have benefited from a few design tweaks. And once because once you say this is it yep. with the geometry, some, that's it. There are some difficult shots in that that could have been easier to make. I would agree. This game, they're going back to the drawing board. The media that went down there are now became a, a focus group that gave them feedback to go back and, and fix some things. So let me ask you a question because there's a virtual pinball expo coming up in October. Do you think they're going to show something then to try to get some confidence back in Deep Root? I mean, I guess it would be in their best interest, even though I express doubt as if to the if if they'll succeed. I would think you would basically crunch everyone for two months and have something that you could show for this virtual event. I mean, if it was my company, that's what I would do. I'm like, you're all sleeping under your desks until this is right i would say i would say if they don't have anything by then then yeah they're they're done you know it's hard right as pinball fans we want to see these companies succeed we want to see these games come out we want more options we want innovation but we really just want great games right i mean it's it's not too hard i mean scott denisi made a game in his basement for probably less than 50 grand i don't know how much tna was to make for him that's what i kept thinking about reading all the deep root stuff i kept imagining that scene from iron man where he's like well to paraphrase keith Owen made this game in his basement with a box of scraps <laughs> yeah and that's what that's what pat lawler did back in the in the 80s bonsai run was a garage game and he took it to williams right right that's what scott did that's what i did that's what keith elwin did it's it is not that hard to attach a bunch of screws to a piece of plywood Right. The hard part is the code and the manufacturing. And if they're having trouble even getting their prototype game in a playable state, that's that's troubling. And the thing is, and I said this on Pinside, so I guess it's perfectly fine for me to say here, 
looking back with the information I have now over all the years of design and you know working with him, I do actually think John is basically a hack. Left to his own devices, he can't do much. And I think the problem that happens is investors can't tell the difference between a blinking box of lights and a working game. That's exactly how the American pinball people got fooled. They didn't know they liked pinball, but they didn't know enough about it to realize that John's Houdini was a, a joke, right? right? And yeah, my favorite so, uh, Ben is when they released the Magic World. Do you remember the the letter that came with the the release of that game? They said we built the game to John's specifications. It was very legally worded, mm -hmm. aka it don't work, people. Nothing <laughs> works. How nobody at American Pinball walk? They gave John like I think. $500,000 maybe, maybe 300000 to spend an entire year in that back room and nobody walked back there and was like, okay, let me play it. Let's see what my, you know, 300 grand got me. Let me play it. Nothing works. I think there, I think there comes a point where you have to throw a tour theory out and say, hey, if you haven't shipped a game in 20 years or 25 years, you need to prove yourself again, you know? Right. It's it's like it's like an old, it's like a pilot. If you don't fly within three years, you lose your license. Like at some point, you know, you have to prove something again and you can't rest on your laurels from back in the Clinton administration. Yeah. And the truth is, like those who get it done, George Gomez knows who they are and George Gomez goes and gets them. And then there's a few other people that can get it done and we know where they are and what companies those are. And and, and I think all all of us have a newfound respect for the companies that actually get it done. And so I, I do. I think this thing is going to be a distant memory you know, once people start to see new games from the other companies. Now, speaking of Ben, I do want to transition. What the hell is going on at Chicago Gaming Company? Like, is stuff <laughs> happening? Um, I've been kind of out of that loop. I Actually, I know that they're having, hopefully, the final meeting for licensing for my game this week, I believe. And then I'm waiting for them to finish up their next remake. And then that's when, apparently, I'll get the engineering team. So, yeah, it's, well, and, of course, they were delayed by covid like everyone else so um yeah it's just more waiting game but it's actually it sounds like it's almost ready to happen but okay yeah. are you next I, in line after the next remake or are you is there another game and then you you know actually that part i think there actually might be another game before mine gets released because i know it's another remake and i don't know what it is by the way and then i think they have a their first I don't. Well, yes. Original title. That's well, licensed. I don't. I, I think it's a licensed game, but it's basically it's their first non-remake title. Right. And we all we all, we know all this. So it's Cactus Canyon, then their original, then then you might be up on the docket. Now, do you want these guys to move a little bit faster? Because I mean, it is. It's like taking forever to get these games yeah, out. Yeah. Well, I have been waiting for like over a year, and so I think what this playfield has now been on ice for three years. I don't. I, I've been, I've been kind of I've been kind of busy lately. I mean, I actually. I had no shortage of work during all this, so it's not like I don't have other things to do, but it would be nice to get back into pinball, get back into more creative work. Right. So the game that you're making for them, have you you already designed this game and, and you're gonna retheme it to the new theme, or is it what's going on? Like what what's your process with this thing? Yes, that is correct. Um it was designed back when did I start on that? Uh I started in November of two thousand sixteen and then I I did a lot of playfield iteration on that. Like I have my my rotisserie thing that I built. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but what it has, it's uh, it's a rotisserie, but you can shoot. It's at six point five degrees, and it's all wired up, and it has all these quick change plugs, and it has an Italian bottom, right? So that was my rapid uh, development system for my next game. So basically, it was um, 
instead of having to cut a new white wood, you would make it out of foam and the foam would be like cartridges that you could swap in and out. And then I just threw all the old ones in the dumpster. I think someone took some of them. So well, you designed this game during your time at spooky, right? So Chuck sort of had the rights to your white wood. Now you guys are working together again in collaboration with Chicago gaming company, correct? It's sort of like a, yeah. Okay. And I'm also helping on spooky's next game. Does it feel good to be back with Chuck and co? It's a lot different there. I mean, for one thing, it's weird because it used to be like, what? I don't even know if it was a thousand square foot office in a business incubator. And then they got the unit next door. So it was like 2,000 whopping square feet. No, it's probably more like 1,500 total, right? Like two 750 units. And that's where they made the entire run of AMH, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then they got the bigger factory and now they have a bigger factory. So they're on on their third space. And as we talked about, it's like 95%. Well, let's see. There's an office where they do the game development and the podcast. Yeah, it's all—it's a factory, which is what it should be. It's a break be. room, and the rest of it is all production. Yes. Right. It, 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 that's what it should look like. It, it, it's, you should not walk into a pinball company and it feels like you're walking into an accounting firm. It, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it should look like a factory. An art studio. Yeah. So, they're, Rick and Morty's are trickling out. Do you think Spooky needs to make games faster? I mean, I, I know you're connected with them like what do you think do people want to wait this long or do they need to speed it up um i think the issue they have with that is well charlie does concentrate entirely on production which is good right so he's like you know based on the size of the staff and the factory i need to build like 700 games a year or whatever it is right and i think what happens is you know they they probably don't spend enough time on development or the kind of stuff that robert's doing too much of spooky needs to do more of which again if Robert teamed up with like an American pinball, it would be a really cool combination. It's just maybe they don't want to team up or they don't want to work together. Uh, yeah, so I know like basically what happens with Spooky is, um, well, yeah, I think they need to they need more development time uh, for stuff because, you know, but again, you know, the the factory is like a beast that needs to be fed, and they make sure that it's always fed. Yeah, but like if it's gonna take a year and a half to make all the Rick and Mortys. Isn't that your development time for the next game right there? And it is. And once again, COVID gave them a boost or gave them some more time. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. Actually, I'm going down there in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have a new system in it now. We have uh, Parker and I are back for revenge. So we have a really, really cheap driver system for the for the new game. So, yeah, it should be cool. And then I can get my royalties off that and. Well, we're know. we're excited to see what you have in the works, Ben. Ben, I want to thank you. Anything else you want to discuss? I, I just this has been great. I, I really. Um, well, hopefully we were vague enough uh, with all this. <laughs> well, no, I mean I'm just going by what I've seen online and what I remember from John back in the day. But honestly, John seems like the kind of person who's just skating by till he turns 64 and can take early Social Security. All right. Look, here's the thing, you know, it should not, we should not feel nervous about discussing pinball, discussing these companies, and we shouldn't, I feel this sense with like Deep Root in the conversation is like, there's a lot of nervousness. There's, I mean, people went there, can't talk. People in there, Steve Bowden, like what, what's going on? Like John Norris, Barry, like no one's saying anything. And I, I it's going to get to the point where you can't keep everybody quiet. There's going to be ex-employees that talk. It, it, this thing the story's going to come out sooner or later, and I, for one, think that, you know, I don't want to keep talking about Deep Root. I said on my last show, I'm kind of moving on to Guns N' Roses, but I did want to get you on because I know you had history with John, 
And I did want to hear what your thoughts were on this thing because you're connected to this thing, like it or not. You know, I would say, yeah, I, I mean, it, it really bothers me that Raza started off as Ben Hack Zombie Adventureland because that ties my name to an incomplete project. And if there's one thing I always do, I always complete every project I start. There you go. For better or worse. And that's one of the things I try to be good at, despite my, all, all my other flaws. So it does bother me that I was attached to that at, at a certain point. I, I don't want people to, or, oh, yeah, actually, there's one more thing I want to bring up. Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, Ben, if you knew John wasn't going to finish things, why didn't you say so? First of all, um, back in those days, you were not allowed to criticize any pinball companies. You remember that? Like, you couldn't say anything about anybody negative or you, you got dogpiled, yep. right? So you couldn't say Predator is a piece of shit and everyone would be like, no, it isn't. It's great. It's like, right. So even though I hadn't really figured out what John was all about yet, you know, if I would have told everyone, if I would have, you know, been a whistleblower and said, hey, Zidware is never going to deliver a game. I didn't know that at the time. But if I would have said that, I would have been crucified. Just like, who's this fucking ginger drunk telling us that the great John Popadook isn't going to deliver, right? Yeah. You know, it's crazy um, back then. Kevin Kulik, Andrew Highway, John Papaduke. I mean, they they were unanimously supported, and anyone who spoke down was completely downvoted and shunned. Yep. And that's the thing. People people have incredibly short memories. I don't, and that's exactly what happened, and that's why a lot of this was allowed to happen was because criticism was not allowed, and criticism should also be allowed. Like, you know— People praise Spooky for what they did, but they also get a lot of criticism. And, you know, oh. you, you brought it up a few and minutes ago. And they got better. That, you're right. And that thing is you you do not improve something by just listening to the kiss-ass yes-men, you know? You you improve things by knowing what's wrong instead of what's right. Because if people just blow sunshine up your ass all day, then you, then you end up with Theranos, right? Or, or something like that. And, yeah, so I think that's, that's something people need to realize. And I guess my other thing is, yeah, so – Back then, I you know you go into John's shop and he started out with like I don't know fifteen hundred square foot shop had all these pinball machines all these workbenches, I mean it it looked legit right, mm -hmm. and then he doubled the size of it and this is back so he was like probably six times the size of Spooky in space but he wasn't even building anything, and you know you go in there and everything looks legit right it's kind of like you know if you ever been to the Houston uh, Space Center down in Texas right. I, I uh, haven't, but I'll Google you, it. You go, they have the sat, they have like one of the remaining Saturn V rockets there. And you look at this effing thing and you're like, why would they build this if the moon landing was fake, right? It's just so right. gargantuan. <clears throat> and it was kind of the same thing as like, this looks legit. But looking back now, I think John was basically just trying to get bought out or get Stern to hire him. Right. It was, he, I think he was making a gambit that someone would buy him out or hire him before he actually had to produce the games and the gambit was unsuccessful. Yeah. Or, I, or you was know, it's it? sad too, because like a hundred thousand dollars in parts and money went, you know, from coin taker, all those LEDs they gave him and all the parts they gave him. I always talked to Chris. He's like, all John had to do was just send us the stuff back and he never did. And it's, so at some point we really all, have, to, all it did was sit there in bins. It's not like, yeah. Well, John's also pretty lazy, so that's probably why he never sent it back. But at some point, at some point, you know, this community needs to stop backing people that don't deliver, that are charlatans and somewhat, I would say, even like crooks when they don't, when they take people's money and then they give them nothing in return. I mean, that's, you're robbing well, someone. Most of them have been expunged. I mean, do you remember that, that short story about the young woman who like borrows a necklace 
No. Do, do, okay. do you want me to do you want me to tell you the story or do you have it for us right now? So this is I'll just tell you this really quick story. So like this is a young woman and she's going to go to a ball with this man she just met and she knows this rich woman. The rich woman's like, "Oh, you're you're so pretty. Here, take this necklace to the ball, right? So you know, you can have a nice night out with your the, your new man." So the young the young woman takes this beautiful necklace and she has a wonderful time, but then it turns out during the course of the night she loses the necklace and she's like, "Oh no, how can I replace that necklace, right?" And so she scrapes together and she loans all this money and borrows all this money from like all the loan sharks. You know, this is like a medieval kind of tale. Mm -hmm. And then she buys a replacement necklace so she can give it back to the old lady that loaned it to her. And she would never know that it, uh, you know, it was lost. And then like, I think the, the, the twist is like 30 years later, the old lady sees this young woman, but now the young woman's all like her fingernails are worn off and she's all threadbare and ragged because she's just spent her whole life slaving away trying to pay back the debt of buying the necklace. And then the old lady is like, oh, dear, I forgot to tell you that necklace. It was a fake. Yeah. You know, that's like the twist of the story. Right, right. But that's that's kind of seems what the Deep Roots doing like. He's sitting there atoning for his sins, like slaving away, building games one at a time. But it, at least it's happening, right? Right. So the reason I bring that up, okay, so he's, you know, like atoning for the, the mistakes. Then you have Andrew Highway, uh, Kevin, or Skit B. It seems like a lot of the charlatans have been expunged. Right. And John, who, you know, as I say, in my opinion, I believe also is of that ilk. He's like the last hanger on. But he's the, he's the worst, because I'll tell you why. At least Andrew Highway built two games. At least Kevin Kulik had a predator and people own like he he would have yeah. made them if they didn't whistle blow the licensing deal john hasn't well, no, made he would he would have run out of money before he completed all the predators right but, but yeah he would have made like 30 or 40 at least at least they made a game that worked yes and andrew did ship hundreds of games i mean indeed yeah. so in all of these with all of these characters right the one who's been the most inefficient has been john so yeah that's why it's it's sort of crazy that they built an entire new company around a man well, who can't. Well, I mean, there's deliver. a reason that you know there's basically what no remaining unemployed pinball people. Like all these guys have been hired by somewhere, and yeah. well, they, well, I guess John's been hired as well. But would anyone would anyone would any other company hire John? Right. Never. Never. Pinball is booming right now. If you can get it done. And you have a good idea. There's a lot of people that want to buy machines right now, especially with yeah. COVID. Um, so, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to seeing your game. We're happy to see you back with Spooky and collaborating with CGC. And just happy to tell the story about what it's been like, you know, through your years with the Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland that just can never see the light of day. So thank you for your time, brother. No problem. All right. Have a good Sunday. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, my God.